you need to understand what percentage of your revenue is going to certain expenses and how do you monitor and, and keep those expenses under control as your business grows. And really the reality is for, for the majority of our clients, as long as they're paying attention to their advertising spend relative to their revenue and they're paying attention to their labor costs relative to their revenue, their business will stay super profitable. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Koshovsky, and welcome to episode 99 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Parker Stevenson, the CEO of Evolved Finance, a bookkeeping and business education company dedicated to helping online entrepreneurs create profitable and healthy businesses. Now, Parker and I connected online and I invited him on the podcast to discuss bookkeeping, which is not sexy, but does not get enough coverage when we talk about operating a business and is in fact extremely important in running a successful and profitable business. During this interview, Parker and I covered lots of important topics like how to keep track of your bookkeeping as a new entrepreneur, why hiring a professional bookkeeper is so important, and specifically how Parker and Evolved Finance are helping online course creators get more control over their businesses. I had a ton of fun talking with Parker, and I think you guys are going to get a lot of helpful information from this interview. While we are on the topic of running an online business, I do want to let you know that my new community, Six Figure Nomad, is launching on January 18th, which if you're listening to this episode when it is published is next week. I started Six Figure Nomad because I believe that unlike launching the next Silicon Valley unicorn, Creating a six-figure online business is something that anyone can do as long as you have the right direction. There are tons of courses on the internet where you can learn everything from how to build a website and run successful Facebook ads to hiring your first VA, but there's no place where you can get an under-the-hood look of real online businesses so you can understand what makes them tick. As a member of Six Figure Nomad, you will get the chance to take a peek at how these businesses were built, the challenges they faced, and what actions their founders took to achieve growth and profitability. All of this modeled after the case study programs used in top business and MBA schools like Harvard. So if you want to get around other like-minded entrepreneurs, learn directly from successful founders, and are ready to roll up your sleeves and get to work, then head over to thatremotelife.com forward slash six figures. That's six figures spelled out one word, and join the waitlist to be notified when we launch. And I want to give you guys a quick tip here to make sure and keep an eye out for our early adopter special, which will only last for a limited time once we launch. So head on over to thatremotelife.com forward slash six figures, all spelled out that six the word, not the number, uh, and join the wait list because that way you're going to make sure that you don't miss when we do the uh, launch special. But all right, you guys, if you enjoy this episode and want to check out all the show notes and resources we mentioned, you can find them over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 99. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 99. And without further ado, I know this has been a slightly longer intro than normal, but I really wanted to let you guys know about the new community. Let's jump into this interview with Parker Stevenson from EvolvedFinance.com. All right, Parker, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Nico, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. I know we were just uh, before we hit record, we were talking about how sweet your uh, backdrop setup looks and mine is kind of <laughs> lacking over here. So but this is what happens, you know, when you're working online and you're moving from place to place. I don't always get to record from my uh, nice, you know, setup studio. So this, this is what it looks like when you're, you know, moving around that kind of stuff. 
And this is what it looks like when you've been working from the same place for many years. So it looks great. Well, Parker, I want to kind of start off here. I was doing a little bit of research and, you know, you uh, run a very cool company that helps out uh, a lot of online businesses uh, with their finances and their accounting. But in doing research for this show, one of the things that I came upon uh, was I heard and correct me if I'm wrong on here, because, you know, the Internet isn't always correct that even though you're in accounting and finance now, you were originally part of a band. Is that correct? I, I was actually. I, I thought I, I tried to uh, hide that from the internet as much <laughs> as I could. But no, it's actually something I'm really proud of. And, and I feel like it was something that shaped my uh, kind of my entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, so mm. to speak. But uh, music's kind of in my, my family's background, my dad's side of the family. I have a uh, cousins who have been successful musicians and make a living as producers and engineers and touring musicians. So uh, when I was younger, I, you know, I started playing guitar and started playing in a band when I was in high school. And then I got to college and started taking it more seriously. And then I graduated college and I was in LA already. And, you know, our band made a little run for it in LA and uh, got to play, you know, at some of the top venues in Los Angeles and open for some cool bands. So it was, uh, it was really fun and we made some made some cool songs but as everyone knows trying to make it as a musician or or, or as a band uh is not a high odds kind of um career goal of, of of being successful at it so the band broke up around the mid probably think around 2007 2008 something like that and that's kind of when i went all right I did that. That was awesome. Don't regret it, but time to go do something that's maybe a little more stable and I can make a little more money from. So you went and became an entrepreneur, much more stable. <laughs> I did. I did have a brief moment <laughs> in corporate America there. And, uh, and that's kind of what I looked at as my MBA was I got mm. to work for Adidas. Taylor, it was tailor-made Adidas at the time. Uh, their golf division is here in San Diego, even though Adidas's main office for the U.S. is in Portland, Oregon. So I got to uh, move back down to San Diego from Los Angeles, go work in the the golf industry, which was another passion of mine and uh, learned a ton while I was there. But I also learned um, after working there for almost five years, I don't like um, having to do what executives tell you to do and, and follow direction that you don't agree with, or I just want to have more control. So that's when I decided to jump into the entrepreneurial world with my business partner, Corey. How did you said that your your experience in the band was kind of like what maybe turned on that entrepreneurial switch for you? How so? Well, I think, you know, in today's day and age, it's not just like be an artist, man, and someone will find you. It's like, you know, I was, ah, God, we, our band was was getting going in the early 2000s when Napster just kind of had hit and the internet was changing the way bands were marketing themselves and MySpace was all the rage. If mm. any of your listeners remember MySpace, which dates me a little bit. And, and I think just like, you couldn't just expect a record label to just find you and throw a bunch of money at you. And then you're rich and have an audience. You had to build that audience yourself. You had to find, you had to negotiate and work with the venues to figure things out. And we really had to think about it as a, as a business more than just a craft or an art. And while I wanted to stay true to making art and, and, and creating a, a musical product that we were proud of. Uh, we also had to, you know, manage relationships and think strategically and really understand that no one was going to do this for us. We had to figure it out. And I think that ability to problem solve, deal with adversity, work with other people, build relationships, um, really gave me a lot of skills that made me, I think, successful when I went into the corporate world. And then has also given me skills for the entrepreneurial world uh, that has also helped me to be successful. Mm -hmm. it's, walk me through like why, because for me, it's kind of difficult to make the connection between being in something that's so creative as being a part of a band to then going into, and I actually have a lot of respect for finance and I can nerd out about it. And I do get the creativity part of it. But I feel like most people would expect that if you were in a band or you were an artist or something like that, and then went into business, a lot of people expect you to, I, I feel like most people will go into like the marketing branding kind of thing. What made you go towards the financial side of business? That's a really good, honest question. Um, I got to chase two dreams. I'm trying to think about how to say this. I got to chase my dream of being a musician. I had unbelievable experiences. I met my wife through mm -hmm. it. Um, loved it, but realized the grind of it. it. It no longer became the, like it was a passion, but it became a grind and it became really hard work. So then I thought, well, I love golf. 
what if I could work in the golf industry? Um, weaseled my into weaseled my way into the biggest golf company in, in the world um and was able to have a really cool career that there that while ultimately wasn't the long-term situation I wanted to be in um I did get to see really how a business ran from all um all different angles because I was the the U.S. product manager for golf footwear for Adidas. So um, I was working with our sales team, our marketing team. I was managing inventory. I was working with the finance team um, with pricing and, and discounts and stuff like that. So I was really responsible for making sure that we sold roughly $50 million a year in golf shoes. Um, so what I found in that was I really liked um, being involved in a lot of things. And even as a musician, I was a singer and a guitar player and I liked writing songs, but I wanted to know how bass worked. I wanted to know how to play drums. I wanted to know how to record in Pro Tools and, and produce a song. And so what I kind of found for my personality is I like to be creative, but I don't like to pigeonhole myself into one thing. Even when I was in the corporate world, I, you know, so I had opportunities to go just down a sales path or opportunities to just go down the product path. And, and I always felt so limited by that, that I think that's why I eventually wanted to become an entrepreneur because I want to, I want to be a part of everything in the business. And, and also I think to get back to chasing the dreams, what I realized is that sure, there's some people who are like, I'm going to be a baseball player. That's the, that's what I'm here to be on the earth. And I'm going to work and do everything I can to become a professional baseball player or a professional dancer or a doctor or whatever it is. And I, and I'm jealous of those people sometimes to be thinking about they're so um, clear on what their path is, but I think most people, they aren't as clear on their path and they like a lot of different things or sometimes they don't even know what they like. And I think what I felt confident about was, okay, I chased two things I loved. They still ended up being work. They still ended up being a grind. So what's really important to me? And what I found was important to me was that I was doing something where I felt like I was being of service to other people. I got to have a bigger say in the business and I got to shape the vision for a company in a way that I just never would be able to do in a large organization. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to work from home and have some flexibility and not really have to report into anybody. So bookkeeping was literally the last thing I would have ever imagined getting involved in really like, so your, your whole question about like, how could you be playing in a rock band and then end up being, you know, co-owner of a bookkeeping company, but my business partners, my, you know, one of my best friends and, and, um, our, you know, the team, our clients, I love working with all of them. I love the industry. And it turns out I kind of like being organized. I like, um, structure, uh, and there's nothing more structured than bookkeeping and, uh, and, and doing financial services. And so for, for me, it was kind of a situation where it's like, sure, I'm not passionate about bookkeeping the way I was passionate about um, playing guitar or trying to, you know, play scratch golf, but I'm really passionate about people and to run a service-based business um, around bookkeeping has been probably the most fulfilled I've ever been. And if you told me 15 years ago, I'd be doing this, I would have thought you were crazy, but that's life. Sometimes you take, you, you jump on opportunities and you make the most of them and see where they go. And I'm just very lucky of all finances was one that uh, worked out really well for me. Well, it's actually funny because I, this summer, I listened to an audiobook called uh, The Passion Economy by uh, Adam Davidson. Have you ever heard mm -hmm. of it before? It sounds familiar, actually. So he, and I, and I didn't know this. So my mom's a bookkeeper. So I grew up with oh. bookkeeping kind of being in the house. And I've always been like, mom, this sounds like literally the worst possible thing in the world to do. <laughs> but reading this book, he kind of talked about the fact that the way that we view accounting today has really only been around for a hundred years. And in fact, accounting before the invention of like the corporation was not at all the way that we view it and kind of went into the history of it and how pivotal it was in Italy for like the Medici family and how it like they kind of invented modern accounting and talked about actually how creative of a field it is. And so for me, it kind of makes sense. Like I can see the connection between something that's super hyper creative, like uh, the music industry and being in a band to the creativity that I now recognize is there in accounting. But I feel like most people are like, that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? But I, I totally understand what you mean. Tell me about 
how you joined the business because you've mentioned your partner, Corey, a few times. And I know that the company existed before you came on, right? So how did you get involved in it? Yeah. So Corey and his wife have been friends with my wife since they were teenagers. They, They grew up together in Los Angeles. So when I started dating my wife, I didn't realize that I'd also be dating Corey and Anna because there was, you know, two of her, yeah. her closest friends. And so we'd spend some time with them, but I was in the middle of my, my uh, journey at Adidas mm-hmm. and I was so pumped to be there. But as I got later on in my career there and was kind of realizing that I, I, I didn't really have a clear path to what I wanted to do next in the company. And I was actually maybe craving doing something different and more entrepreneurial. I started talking with Corey more about what they were doing because I don't even think I fully understood what bookkeeping was at the time. And and this is what I'm talking about with opportunity. I think smart, and I'm not saying this because I think I'm smart or trying to, you know, make me look like I'm some genius entrepreneur, but I think something that I realized after chasing two dreams and both of them just not kind of working out the way I thought they would and getting burnt out on them, um, I started to realize, well, what if I just look, go for opportunity? What if I can Mm -hmm. just find good opportunities where I feel like my skill set will be a good fit and jump on them. And so after talking with Corey and Anna for a while about what their business was, and it was very, it was very small. It was the two of them. And then one other bookkeeper on their team who still works with us today. She's our bookkeeping manager, Susan. I was like, I feel like you guys are doing something really unique. I really like that they were serving online businesses, which I felt was super fascinating because back in, you know, 2013, when we started talking about this, you know, like courses and membership sites and all that weren't as commonplace as they kind of are now, especially in 2020, when more people are online than ever. But I loved the niche they were serving. I love their attitude with how they served clients. And they kind of convinced me that they're like, okay, I know you don't know how to do bookkeeping yet, but we'll teach you how to do that. And the goal will be, let's build this business up so I don't have to do bookkeeping very long. And the reality was, I'm probably the worst bookkeeper we've ever had as a company, but I learned it. I understood it. Um, And then I was able to start to help grow the business once we hired another bookkeeper to start managing my files for me so I could do account manager work and serve the customers more with coaching and, and business guidance. And that's when it clicked for me. And I was like, this is this is what's going to differentiate us is being able to advise our clients. And that's what was exciting for me getting into this business because I love being the visionary for the company. Um, Corey really knows his stuff around the bookkeeping. He probably should have been an accountant. He, he knows a lot about taxes. He knows a lot about finance and, and I've absorbed a ton from him. Um, but we knew when we got, when we joined forces that he would really be our operations finance expert. And I would be the person to figure like, how do I evolve? Like no pun intended. How do I evolve our service into something that's going to be more scalable? Um, how do I, I build a repu- a bigger reputation for us in the industry that we serve and how can we really provide a unique bookkeeping experience for our clients that really differentiates us from the rest of our our customers. And so when I start thinking about all that and remove myself from like sitting and doing bookkeeping for clients and thinking about getting to build something um, that, you know, again, Corey started in 2010, um, but getting to build on top of that, it's been a very creative endeavor and something I've, I've found very fulfilling, especially as we get more people involved in our business. We have, you know, we just hired our 12th employee and, uh, right now we're sitting at about 135 clients, um, monthly recurring clients right wow. now and growing. So it's like just building something bigger than myself is just as satisfying as writing a rock song or, or getting to get in the studio and, you know, work with a cool producer or something like that. So a lot of people listening either have an experience of starting a business by themselves as a solopreneur, or maybe they went out and they they started a business with a partner in some mm-hmm. sort of partnerships. But I think it's a lot more rare to have a, an established business and then someone else like halfway through the journey, quote unquote, comes in as a partner. Can you walk me through like how you negotiated your entry into that? Because I think it's really interesting for people who are listening are maybe a little bit younger and could see themselves like going into an existing business and almost kind of leapfrogging into that. How did you like negotiate that with them into, how did you negotiate your position with them into entering the the business? That's another really good, uh, insightful question. Um, If you were to ask our clients, is a business partner a good idea? 90% of them would say no. Mm. And I would 
probably agree with that because it can be really tough to have a business partner. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, one thing that I think, um, love them or hate them, Gary V talks a lot about Mm self-awareness. That's something I feel like I've been fairly gifted at is to being aware of what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses. And so one of my strengths is being able to connect, build relationships with people um, and, and, and be in some way, like kind of like almost a diplomatic skill set. Mm-hmm. I also knew enough about myself to know I didn't have a business idea myself. I knew I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know what I wanted to do because my, per, my perspective was from like hard goods, physical products. And I'm like, I don't want to start a physical product-based business. So when I started learning more about Corey's business, what we quickly realized is we had very different skill sets. And so Corey, again, being more operational, more the expert in the service, in the bookkeeping service, but he didn't, you know, the thought of having to do webinars, do podcast interviews, um, having to market and sell the business at scale um, and thinking, again, having a vision beyond the business because he's only known Evolve Finance. He's barely worked any other jobs. He started Evolve Finance when he was a teenager. So, you know, he he's versus I've worked a bunch of different jobs, um, worked in the corporate environment. So we just both felt like there's something that we could combine our skills and combine our superpowers and it could be really good. And we did have a really serious conversation as a family with him and his wife, me and my wife going, Hey, if this doesn't work, the friendship is first. Like Mm -hmm. we have to always keep that in mind. And I think we've always been very respectful of that and always tried to maintain a friendship and a connection. So it's not just business. Um, But I think, you know, how do you separate that out of curiosity? Like, how do you keep it going from like, you know, if you guys are having dinner together, like, I, I can't imagine that it doesn't overflow into bit. Like, how do you keep that separation? Yeah, I think when we get together with our families, it's just like business stuff goes, you know, goes to the wayside. Just don't mm. talk about a lot. And, and sometimes like he lives in L.A., we're in San Diego. So maybe it's, you know, at night and um, we've had dinner and everyone, the kids are asleep and we're hanging out and our wives are talking, we might sneak in a little bit of business conversation because we love it. We love working on the business and thinking about the business. Um, But we do try to make a conscious effort to spend time just being bros, you know? And, and, and I think that does help our, our relationship because it's really important. We see things from each other's, uh, you know, perspectives, Mm -hmm. because I understand coming into this business, a business that him and his wife had started together and, um, and I'm kind of coming in and trying to make changes and working my way to be an equal partner. Um, I had to put blood, sweat, and tears into it, right? I put a lot of sweat equity. I took a huge pay cut. You know, I had a cushy job and essentially went to pay, getting paid almost nothing in the beginning. But by doing that, I think I showed my dedication to the business. And then Corey showed his dedication to, you know, helping us build up the clients we needed to start to pay me a more reasonable salary. And we were always having conversations. We were always trying to stay one step ahead of the business that, okay, what happens when the business gets this big? What happens when we get to this point? How, what, when do I become um, truly an owner on paper? Cause we knew that I'd be coming into this relationship, working to be a partner in the business, but in a small business, like in a service-based business, like we had, our first priority was we need to get enough clients to be able to get me even a salary that would be reasonable to replace my salary I had at Adidas. So just not getting too ahead of ourselves, but also just staying one step ahead and then having a good lawyer to put together a business con, you know, a business working agreement between the two mm-hmm. of us and just having really hard conversations, but being as honest and open with each other as we possibly can. Corey's my second husband. Like I have my wife at home. Like the relationship we have is it's, it's really an intimate relationship to be in business with somebody. So if, if you find yourself being, having a difficult time being vulnerable, if you have a difficult time sharing your thoughts and, and, and your ideas and your concerns, um, or you're in business with someone who's that and, and isn't open and is closed off or whatever it is, it's just like a marriage. It, it's going to be mm-hmm. really difficult for that thing to work. And so I think Corey and I, um, just it just worked for us. We, we've been committed to making sure that our our partnership stays healthy. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned contracts and like agreements. And one of the like really for me, really like great pieces, like things that I heard that really helped me understand contracts was, and I think this was Tim Ferriss. I might be wrong on this, 
But he said, uh, stop thinking of contracts as agreements and start thinking of them as disagreements. Because if you're in agreement, then that you're never going to have to get to that document. But you're going to have to get to that document when there's a disagreement and you want to see like, okay, how do we actually play out this disagreement? And for me, that was something that like I teach people that I like work with that. And it seems to like they kind of realize, okay, now I know the kind of things that I need to put into this document. So uh, I feel like that's a really helpful piece um, there in terms of like, you know, what you should include and what you shouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you just have to know who are you going in business, going into business with? Like if you have a bad judgment of people and judgment of character, you might want to start off and do your, do something on your own and not have a business partner. So I think it's really important for you to look at the relationships you've had in your life and see if those mm. have been successful or not. And then if you do feel like you have someone you want to go into business with really be honest with yourself about what are their character flaws? What are my character flaws? How do we how do we resolve conflict? Like, is this really going to work in the long term? And are we really as aligned from the beginning as we think we are? And I know that's hard, but that's something again, maybe because Corey and I were a little older, we didn't start this in our 20s. You know, I was already mm -hmm. in my 30s. Corey was pushing 30, he was in his late 20s. Um, so we were able to be mature enough to have those conversations, I guess. But um, Again, I think I can't imagine having a business without a business partner, but I know a lot, I might be on the in the minority there. So that's right. why I'm just like, you really have to kind of dig deep and think about how much, how good a judge of character do you have and how good of a co communicator and collaborator are you? Yeah. And I think what's interesting about your guys's relationship, I mean, you literally point by point, essentially, uh, the book is called Traction, I believe, or the, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly which one it is, but I mean, he's an integrator clearly, and you're the visionary, which is interesting that he was an integrator who started a business totally and right. brought on a visionary. While usually it's the other way around, right? Where it's the visionary starts the business, has no idea how to actually do the thing that he's envisioned, and then has to bring on an integrator. So it's interesting that you almost, I don't know if you've read the book and you, you yes, said it because of that. we're big fans okay. of it. Yeah, we're okay. big fans of the book. And, and it's been, that's helped create even more clear lanes for mm -hmm. us in the business because, um, we're 50-50 partners, but we still don't want to be stepping on each other's toes. Right. And that book made it click. And again, I think Corey knew, again, he looks at my skill sets and goes, dude, you're really good at the things you do as a visionary. Do that because I'm going to be successful if you're successful at what you do and vice versa. I look at the, the skills Corey has and I go, dude, you're really good at the things you do. Do those things and this business will be successful. So I mm -hmm. think we're able to put the ego out of it. And again, we have the we have those similar, we have our complement Complementary skill sets that when we read traction, we were like, this is it. This is yeah. our guidebook. Thank you. Right, and right, and right. it's worked out really well for us. It was really helpful to read that book. I think in terms of also like what you mentioned about self-awareness um, for anybody that's listening here, that's maybe like a little bit early on in their journey to kind of like bring this up. I think it's really important to know which one of those you are, because mm -hmm. like, for example, I am a 110% like visionary. And I know that at some point in my business, I'm going to have to bring on an integrator for it to grow. But if you're the other way, you need to know that at some point, you know, if you're an integrator who's kind of like doing a little bit of the visionary, you're going to have to bring someone on at some point. Uh, so I think it kind of comes down to like self-awareness, know who you are and what you're lacking. And at some point, if you want to take your business to the next level, which it sounded like Corey was like, hey, we need to take this business to the next level. Mm -hmm. He needed to bring you in to fill that slot. So uh, I think that's an important thing to kind of think about if you are in that position right now. And you're kind of thinking if like, you know, you're, you kind of feel like some of that is lacking. It's good to know, hey, maybe this is somewhere around the corner. Totally but I want to take a little bit of a step away and talk about bookkeeping because um, obviously a lot of people listening here have their own businesses. Um, at what point should somebody bring on a bookkeeper? So yeah, bookkeeping is probably one of the most underrated functions for online businesses. Hmm. And, and a big reason for that, I think, is that with a lot of the clients we serve, a lot of them, they didn't get their MBAs in business. They, they didn't work for huge companies before they started. Some of them did. Some of them might have some corporate background or something like that. Um, but a, a lot of our clients are just regular people who had regular careers, who jumped in and, and are share, you know, decided to make a course or got trained and became a coach or an advisor or whatever it is, and just wanted to figure out how do I make money on my own without having to work for someone else. And I think with new business owners, you get so wrapped up with like, 
how am I going to make sales? And as you should, because you need mm-hmm. money coming in in order for your business to function, that once that money starts coming in, that's when we see a lot of our clients go, oh crap, what do I do with this? Like, am I doing this right? Like, do I know really what's going on in my business? And they feel like they're driving, like they're kind of driving blind. They just mm-hmm. feel like, okay, I'm making sales, but is this good? What's, what, how is the money coming in and out of my business? And that's really the role bookkeeping plays is to help your business to track the financial activity that's going on in your business so you can have a scorecard essentially, right? To organize your financial data in a way that allows you to analyze the business and see, are you doing well or are you not? You know, are you building a business that's profitable or are you losing money and we need to tighten up expenses or we need to increase our revenue? And so with, with bookkeeping, um, you don't need, I, I like as an entrepreneur, I never recommend you learn how to use bookkeeping software because you're going to do it wrong. 99% of you are going to open up QuickBooks Online account or zero. We use QuickBooks Online for all of our clients. We're going to open up a zero account and you're going to not do it right. Unless all you're operating from is one checking account, you're going to do it wrong. And, and that's just the reality of, of learning the skill of bookkeeping. It took me a year to really felt feel like I knew how to navigate QuickBooks Online proficiently and really understood bookkeeping principles enough to where I wasn't going to inflate the income, understate the income, miss expenses, not match up transfers right. But if your business is just getting started and you don't have the money yet to hire a bookkeeper, then I always recommend just get a spreadsheet, like start tracking your transactions in the spreadsheet, pull out your deposits, pull out the expenses, put it in a spreadsheet and start tracking it on a monthly basis there. Because if your business is relatively small, there's not going to be that many transactions you really need to be parsing through. But eventually you're going to start to be like, hmm, there's a lot of transactions here. I'm dreading having to put together my spreadsheet every month because it's too much data in my bank accounts and credit card and PayPal to be keeping track of. That's usually a sign, okay, it's time to get a bookkeeper here and I need to invest in an expert to come in and start tracking my financial data for me. Um, Because it does eventually get to a point where you have so many transactions happening that not only is it gonna be difficult for you to enter those transactions into a spreadsheet, but it's gonna start to feel overwhelming in terms of understanding what's going on in my business, what do all these transactions mean? So a really good bookkeeper will start to organize that data in a way that if they're good at what they do and they understand your business model the way we understand our clients' business models out of all finance, then they start to feel like, oh, I'm now the CEO of my business. There's now no part of my business I don't understand. I know how my marketing works. I know how my operations work. I know how money moves in and out of my business. And that's why we find when our clients sign up with us that they feel like they up-level as a leader in their business because now they're not just making decisions from like their gut or their intuition or just with what someone else is telling them what to do. They start to make decisions based on how do I make my business more financially successful? And bookkeeping is the core function in any business that allows your accountant to do their job and allows you as the business owner to understand, is my business financially healthy or not? Yeah, I think it's funny, like when I talk with people who run very successful businesses who've been around for a while, and I kind of ask them like, hey, what secrets do you have to teach me? Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like one of the, like, the things they always say is like, know your numbers. Like, you yep. know, it's usually the most important thing. The thing that they feel like makes the biggest difference is not some super sexy thing that you like, you know, can't even imagine. It's like the thing that is like the like the most like obvious thing, which is know your numbers, understand them like know where money's coming in and where money's going out. So would you then suggest that like, it sounds like what you're saying is if you're just getting started, don't get a bookkeeper now, wait until it kind of starts feeling overwhelming or should, or is there a case in which you should bring on a bookkeeper right when you're starting your business? Just depends on your financial situation and and how much you value that. Um, if you're in a situation where you're starting your business and you have a spouse who you're able to live off of their income, and so you can take on some expenses sooner in your business because your business doesn't have to you know, support mm-hmm. your family right off the bat, then maybe you do want a bookkeeper earlier on, right? Because uh, you want to create that really strong foundation from the start. But um, it, it just really depends on how quickly you're making money and where you want to invest that money. Because for me, we have like our bookkeeping service starts at $400 a month mm-hmm. and, and our service works for businesses who are starting to make six figures and beyond. 
And so when a client comes to us and maybe they're, they've done 60,000 in revenue, I always add like, maybe it's bad sales, but I go, you know what? I, I think you're getting close to being ready for us. But if that $400 a month, if you could use that to help grow your revenue faster mm -hmm. and reinvest in the business. So then when you come back to us, you're like, Hey, I did $220,000 this year. Now let's do it. Then it's like, cool. That's when the bookkeeping I think is going to start to become more valuable, valuable to have really quality bookkeeping like we do for our clients. Otherwise in the early stages of your business, just doing it in a spreadsheet yourself, or maybe hiring a bookkeeper that maybe isn't going to like blow your mind with their, their skills and their knowledge, but can at least do it better than you. And it only costs you a hundred bucks a month to begin with. Maybe that's the good interim bookkeeper until you're ready to um, bring someone on. That's, um, you know, going to be a bigger investment, but is going to provide way more value. And our service gets more valuable when our clients' businesses get bigger because there's more data to go through and more data for them to analyze, to help them keep their businesses healthy. So for those people listening who are maybe not yet at that point to hire you guys or to, they don't feel like they really need a, a bookkeeper yet. What are like the three things that you would suggest they track themselves and keep an eye on in terms of bookkeeping, even if they've never done anything, they don't know anything about bookkeeping. What are so, some of those like very essential things that you would suggest that they keep track of? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I think of is just do not mess up your income. Make sure that you have all of your business income coming into one main checking account. If you start to have income coming into a personal checking account and then going into mm -hmm. a business checking account, the IRS does not like it when you're hiding money, even if it's on accident. So it's really important you accurately represent your income. And that leads me to the second thing. If you want to make it easier, separate your business and personal finances immediately. That mm -hmm. means even if you don't have a business entity yet, um, like in, you know, in the US, we have LLCs and S Corps are the two most popular business entities for small businesses. Even if you don't have one of those, just open up a second personal checking account and use it only for business transactions. Because if you're going to be tracking your business's finances or you're going to have a bookkeeper come in and do it, if they have to sift through your groceries, and your haircuts and your oil changes and all that, it's going to increase the opportunity for them to make mistakes. It's going to, they're going to charge you more money to try to figure out what, you know, you owe for taxes and the bookkeeper is going to charge you more money to have to go through transactions that have nothing to do with the business. So, you know, making sure that you have those two things separated, like your business and personal finances, which I think even mentally, it's important that you understand as an entrepreneur, like I don't just manage my personal budget anymore. I have to manage my business's budget as well. And if that's all combined in one place, it's going to be extremely difficult for you as a business owner to do that. Um, but yeah, keep your business and personal finances separate. Get, um, get all your income going into one place, your business income. Uh, if you still have a side job and payroll, you know, working for someone else and you're getting a paycheck, keep that in your personal account. But again, all your business income in one place. And then it doesn't really have to do with like tracking anything from a bookkeeping standpoint, but I think getting an accountant involved in your business as early as possible. Sure. You can do a little bit of bookkeeping in a spreadsheet on your own. That's fine. Do not file your taxes on your own. And I know there's going to be people that go, ah, I can do it. I'm going to use um, TurboTax and I'll make it happen. That's your risk. That's you taking the risk you want to. Um, I, I, if there's any part of this conversation where I want to scare people a little bit, it's when we see entrepreneurs try to do their taxes themselves or trust the wrong person to do their taxes for them, like a business partner or a family member that's not qualified. That's when we see business owners wish they'd never start their business. Mm. That's when they regret starting their business because they dig themselves in a tax hole that then seems impossible to get out of. So do not wait to get an accountant. The minute you know you're going to have business expenses you need to write off and you're going to have a, biz, you know, a business entity that now is going to be a part of your tax situation, hire an accountant, even a cheap one, is better than you trying to do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're, you know, somebody who's like location dependent and runs a business that's online, like it, it it's a great idea to spend the money to get an account to file your taxes and stuff like that because you're they're going to know how to like save you money that you may not know because there's so many loopholes and laws and all these kind of things that you just like you know there's that's a reason there's a reason why professionals do that and they kind of keep up to that but even with like the banking thing i have to totally agree like 
uh, it's so easy now to open up a business banking account. I don't know if you've heard of Aslo before, but I, yes. I opened up an account with them. Super easy just to know, like, a, you know, there's no excuse not to have uh, an account. Yeah. And going back to the accountant thing too, it's not just about them saving you on taxes. When your business is small, um, there's only so much you're going to be able to save. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's only so many, those kind of loopholes and stuff like that kind of come into play as your business grows. It's just making sure it's done right. You know, making sure someone who does know what tax laws are. Entrepreneurs get a lot of really bad financial information from other entrepreneurs that is just straight up wrong. It's just bad advice that they think sounds like good advice. And if their accountant had heard them get that advice, their accountant would go, uh-uh, that's not how things work. This is how things work. And so I know there's going to be some people who will be stubborn and won't listen to that advice. Uh, but the reality is, unless you yourself are an accountant and you understand tax law, like, let's make sure someone's doing it right. Someone's doing mm. it properly. So at the very least, you're just not getting surprise tax bills or the IRS is knocking on your door. And now you have this huge tax bill that you have to catch up on. Mm. So since you guys work with, you know, a specific type of business that is online businesses, as opposed to, you know, just kind of taking on everyone. Uh, I'm assuming that one of the benefits of that is that you guys really get to know those businesses and can provide much better inputs to those entrepreneurs. Is that correct? Totally, dude. Totally. Um, that, that's been a huge advantage for us. Mm -hmm. um, bookkeepers ha don't have the best reputation as service providers. Um, I didn't realize that when I got involved with Evolve Finance, but we regularly hear from clients and other entrepreneurs about how like my bookkeeper just doesn't get my business. They don't understand how it works. They, um, they're not super reliable. They take forever to email me back. And they, you know, I think they kind of want their bookkeeper to be an expert in their business. And, and most bookkeepers have no real interest in doing that. So again, part of what brought me into Evolve Finance and why I was interested in it was because Corey had picked a niche. And I'd been in the business world long enough to know that if you have a really clear target market, it's going to be easier to serve them and to get really good at serving them. And so you're absolutely right. Like we, because we only work with online businesses and I mean, we don't even work with e-commerce businesses. We don't do any physical products. All of our clients are selling digital products, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of selling information or um, we have a few kind of more service providers if, if they're the right fit, um, you know, kind of service online service providers. Um, and because of that, all of our bookkeeping processes can be standardized. We can train our team more effectively to serve the clients better. And then we get to know the industry so well that we can provide guidance and advice because we start to see patterns. We start to see, you know, we look at so much data in our, you know, behind the scenes of our clients' businesses that I can tell you, if you start to, if more than 30% of your revenue is going to advertising, uh, your profitability might start to suffer. If you start to spend more than 20, 25% on your labor, Again, likely your profitability is going to struggle. If you're an online business, like if your course business selling courses and your profit margin is less than 30%, there's an issue in your business model. So it's these things that if we were serving doctor's offices and law offices and real estate agents and retail stores, we would never know we would never get to see any of these trends because every business feels like a new business to us. It's mm -hmm. a new business model versus all of our clients have one, maybe two different types of business models we see. So it, you know, like you said, it allows us to be experts in our clients' businesses because of that niche. And also we can do the books properly. We know how to deal with PayPal. We know how to deal with Stripe. We know how to separate our clients' revenue by um, offer by logging into their Kajabi or their Sam card or Thrive card or Entreport or whatever it is. And if we had to try to figure that out for every different type of business we worked with, there's just no way we'd be able to provide the level of service we do being as niched as we are now. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy that you guys are around because this is something that I've bumped in myself where uh, I had an accountant that was like doing some like of my accounting for me. And he like, he's just the local one that like my family used that I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of like I rolled into and he like, didn't understand Google drive. And I was like, this is a bad sign. Like, if you don't understand Google drive, we have a big <laughs> problem and misconnect between like what I do and the taxes and all the kind of stuff that you're like figuring out for me. So, uh, I think it is just, uh, I think that there is this certain, like maybe like the, 
it, it hasn't like the field hasn't really advanced yet to be aware of all of these things. And it's going to have to, especially post 2020 as a lot more businesses kind of turn online. Um, and so I'm really glad that you guys are out there and I do, you know, advise anyone out there, like make sure that you work with somebody who understands what you do, because if they don't understand what you do, then they're not going to serve you as, as best as possible. So, well, and, and the way we talk to our clients about it too, because we're doing their bookkeeping for, for them, it makes it easier for their accountants to file their taxes because we, mm-hmm. or, you know, the way we organize their financial data makes it easier for their accountant to file their taxes. So, um, if you only have an accountant, then I think it's important that your accountant has some idea of what your, you know, how your business functions, no matter what. But I think from a bookkeeping standpoint, because they're looking at the financial details of your business, it's really important that whoever's mm-hmm. going to be doing your bookkeeper or doing your bookkeeping is going to understand how your business operates. I think it, I think it's even more crucial than than your accountant understanding. So I, I know that you started mentioning some some profit margins there and some percentages, and I want to get your opinion on a book that has basically been my answer to all of these things, and that's Profit First. I'm assuming you've heard of it before. And I'm, I'm smiling because I knew that was coming. I'm curious to know, as a professional in this, um, I think that a lot of us entrepreneurs sort of turn to that as like a simple answer to questions that we didn't want to have to think about, uh, mm-hmm. because as entrepreneurs, that's not always what we want to be thinking about. So is that a model that people is like, would you kind of like approve that model or would you say, Hey, there's some things here that you won't see and that you should be aware of. So let me preface my answer with, I think this that the book Profit First has been really good at getting entrepreneurs to think about their finances and mm-hmm. understand the importance of their finances. I think the book has shown how frustrated entrepreneurs are with the bookkeeping and accounting services that they're getting because Michael uh, wrote that book because he was he didn't have a good bookkeeper and he didn't have an, an accountant that he that he felt like really understood what he was doing or was really supporting him so he created the system uh the profit first system as a way to make up for the fact that he just felt like he wasn't being taken care of from his financial service providers that being said um we do not recommend profit first as as a method is profit first better than having no financial system Absolutely. Um, if if your choice is stick your head in the sand and just hope you have enough money in your bank account every month or put profit first into play in your business, I would tell you pick profit first. Mm. But we are regularly moving clients away from the profit first system because number one, it makes things way more complicated having all those bank accounts because our team has to go in and log into all those bank accounts uh, to try to reconcile them. And then trying to keep track of the money moving around all of those accounts becomes a lot more complicated too. Mm-hmm. And that book, while the percentages are, you know, there's some thought that went into how, what percentage of your income you put into all these different bank accounts. It might be a profit account, an operations account, a savings account, all those different things. Um, they're, they're, they're arbitrary percentages that I don't think are appropriate for online businesses. Mm. I don't think there's a replacement for having a bookkeeper that organizes your financial data in a way that makes sense for your business. And you as the business owner learning how to read that financial report. And and what our clients regularly find is they go, oh, understanding my finances isn't that hard. It's not that difficult. It's just no one was actually doing the bookkeeping and organizing my profit and loss statements, which is the main financial statement any business owner needs to be looking at. No one was organizing it for me properly. Um, A lot of bookkeepers, and and if your accountant's doing your books, will just organize your financial reports in a way that's just good for taxes, but mm-hmm. it's not the way like if you had a CFO, if you were a CFO of a big corporation where you're like, I want to set up this profit and loss so the company can understand how we're functioning and how healthy this business is. So the hard part is doing the bookkeeping, organizing the data, which is what I think Mike struggled with. He struggled with, the you know, before he started Profit First with getting someone who could organize the data in a way that he could understand how his businesses were doing. But I think just moving money around into bank accounts doesn't give you the understanding of how your business model really works to the level it needs to be. You need to understand 
what percentage of your revenue is going to certain expenses and how do you monitor and, and keep those expenses under control as your business grows. And really the reality is for, for the majority of our clients, as long as they're paying attention to their advertising spend relative to their revenue and they're paying attention to their labor costs relative to their revenue, their business will stay super profitable. And online businesses, it might be one of the most profitable business models you could get into. So a lot of the times our clients that are, that were using profit first had profitable businesses, didn't realize it because profit first didn't make it clear to them. And once we got it, them off that system and started getting them to actually look at their financial report, again, just a profit and loss statement, they went, oh, okay, I can do this. I understand this game. And that's all it is. I feel like half of what we're doing with our clients is just showing them these are the rules to the game you're playing. Do you get it? And they go, yeah. And then they play by those rules and their businesses grow and they stay profitable while they do it. It's just, again, I think profit first is, is such an example of bookkeepers and even to some extent accountants really failing a lot of business owners mm -hmm. and helping them to make the money part of their business less intimidating and easier to understand. Yeah. I also think like, so I personally use like the profit first idea, but even like reading through and going through it, I was like, this is like way over complicated. And, and if mm -hmm. you're not a child, you should be able to like, you know, control yourself. Uh, so like, I do think one of the things that's really helpful in that system, especially for people who are kind of like in that level before they can really hire a bookkeeper yet yep. are those percentages, because those to me were very helpful in knowing like, okay, like my operating expenses are way too high for the amount of revenue that I'm bringing, I'm bringing in. He sort of gave these really nice, like, you know, I think it's, what is it? Like profit should be like 10%. OPEX should be 25. You know, your salary should be like 50, 50% uh, of, you know, I think he was saying up, up to $500,000 in revenue. So can you provide, if you don't necessarily agree with those for the people listening, can you sort of give them and obviously this is not going to be perfect for everyone, but mm -hmm. can you, with your experience and what you've looked at with online businesses, can you sort of break down those sort of percentages so that people know if their businesses are in a healthy range or if there's things that they should address? Well, so much of your profit percentages you need to be at in the early stages of your business is really tricky because, you know, if your business has a thousand dollars in expenses each month, and you're making only $500 a month right now. So you're losing 500 bucks a month. I'm not going to tell you to cut your expenses to get right. your profit where it needs to be. I'm going to tell you, you need to go out and sell more. You need to go figure out how to sell better and, and market your offer better. Um, and in the early stages of your business, you might be bringing in 2000 and spending 2000 because you're trying to put the thing, the pieces in place in order to get the monthly revenue into um, a realm where you can actually start to make some money as a business owner. So what I, I say that because if I'm going to share some percentages here that it might not be reasonable based on where you're at in your business to get there. Yeah. I think like, especially like in the beginning stages, I've almost like, and this might be a bit like, I don't know. I almost say like, don't even like, yes, the numbers are important, but I don't think you should be looking at your accounting in terms of like, I need to get it under some numbers because you you're, might be losing money, right? So like for the first year, I always kind of say is like, hey, it's going to be some shit there. And you you just, you, you know, it's not the most important thing at the moment. So I, I would say is like for the percentages that pass that point where yes. at least you've kind of started, you know, you're maybe chugging along, you're earning, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 a year from your business. And now you kind of want to say, okay, like, is this healthy? Is it not? Well, and so let me, here's maybe one of our clients, like a client journey example mm -hmm. that would give you an idea of what these percentages Perfect. should be as you go along. So if you had a course-based business, a lot of the times what our clients do is like, most people don't just automatically start spending money on ads. You, you have to be able to build up an audience and start to test your, your offer to them and see if you can sell it via launches and start to build your skills as a, uh, as a marketer and a, and a salesperson. Mm -hmm. So the, the beauty of online businesses are you don't need to have like $100,000 to open up a restaurant and buy the inventory and cover three months of payroll for your servers and chefs and all that kind of stuff, right? You need to have so much money up front that like with a restaurant startup, 
you're not going to, you may, it might be years before you start to really turn a profit because you have to pay back all the loans to get the business mm -hmm. started with an online business. If you know, just with some software, maybe a VA, you know, we see our clients build these like maybe a hundred thousand to $300,000 a year in total revenue businesses where they're keeping maybe half of the revenue. They might, mm -hmm. you know, half in profit. That's not including the owner's pay. Um, so if, if let's say you had 300,000 and you're keeping 150,000 in profit, maybe as the business owner, you kept 75,000 of that to pay yourself. And then you left some of that money in the business to reinvest and, and continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I always like seeing that when, a, when a, a business owner gets their, their business to that early six figure mark, that they're 40, 50, 60, 70% profit margins, because it means They've been able to be really productive, running the business as themselves. They have they, they have some really good systems, some really good automations to get this business going, and they haven't overinvested super early, um, and, and made the the profitability a challenge from the start. But once they get to this place and they're you know they're in this hundred to three hundred thousand dollar a year range, then they you know if if they are profitable, they'll start to give up some of that profit percentage to invest in team members, to invest in advertising, to maybe join a higher end coaching program where they can start to build more sophisticated product strategies and marketing strategies. So once they get past that three hundred thousand mark and we're starting getting getting into the half a million to a million a year mark then typically what we would see is a business would be 30 to 40% range. Um, I'd say five years ago, 40% was more doable. Um, but I think the online space has changed their outlook on building businesses instead of just building cash machines, mm -hmm. um, which a lot of our clients would have years where they would have 50, 60% profit margin on a $1.2 million business, but they're about ready to quit because they're so burnt out. So they, so people are, you know, the clients we're working with, they're more interested in hiring employees now than they were. They're more interested in their operations. They're more interested in the, in the ways that they're making money and their processes for how they make money instead of just going out and hustling and selling. Um, and again, I think you have to have some of that in the early stages of your business, but eventually it becomes, how do I start to repeatedly make this amount of money every year? And if not, you know, obviously growing the amount of revenue our business makes every year in order to do that, we have to spend money. So again, when we get to that half a million to a million and beyond mark, then it's starting to be that, you know, 30% range is kind of the, the lower level of profit. We like to see, um, 35, 40, 45% is like, awesome. That, that would be a really healthy business. We still see some businesses of that size get to 50, 60% margin, but I think that 30 to 40% range is much more reasonable. Now we have some clients that um, maybe have a little more of a service-based business, online business, it, like even at Evolve Finance, for Evolve Finance as a service provider, I would expect more of a 20 to 25% profit margin. We've had some agencies and, and, and um, kind of more firm-based service providers get up to 30, but the, the percentage of profit like potential is definitely a lot lower with a service-based business because labor costs are just higher. Right, right, right. But, if, but if we were looking at a quintessential million dollar a year business, what we would hope is that they're spending less than 30% of their revenue on ads, ideally closer to 20%, but 30% um, is kind of the max before we start to see profitability issues. Like I said before, uh, we would see maybe their software would be three to 4% of their total revenue. Um, like their continuing education, like let's say courses and coaching and stuff like that for the business owner's development, it would likely be four to 6%. And then their total team costs, whether it's contractors or employees, would be roughly around the 20% mark. Um, again, depending on the business model and how you operate, it might be a little higher than that, or it could be way lower than that. Outside of those main categories, there's not really a whole lot else, like from an expense standpoint, that's going to make a major impact on our clients' businesses. Maybe they have sales commissions they give out if they do sales. Maybe they have some live event expenses if they do live events back when people were actually mm -hmm. doing things in person, obviously. <laughs> but ultimately, the things I just mentioned are the pieces that if the client is paying attention to those things as their business grows, they're going to give themselves the best opportunity to be at 30% or higher profit margin. That's awesome. Yeah. I love those numbers. And I think people are going to find that very helpful just to know like what to expect and they can, you know, sort of assume like, Hey, I'm at this level and my numbers are not that. So, you know, you can very easily kind of tell like I, there's a problem or not. 
I do want to ask you because I know that we're kind of starting to run out of time here, but I think that this is a very important thing. A lot of people build businesses to create a better life for themselves, right? But one of the things that you don't really think about when you start a business or you become an entrepreneur is that the system, especially in the United States, is not necessarily set up to cater to entrepreneurs. So I have a lot of friends, for example, who have been entrepreneurs and go on to do things like, hey, I want to take out a loan to buy a house or something like that. And they find out that, oh, wow, like I can't do that. Even though I've been successful in business, the system just doesn't understand me. And they almost can find that even though they went into building a business to create a better life for themselves, it's kind of making it more difficult in a system that's created to cater to employees. What are some things that entrepreneurs can do with that in mind to make sure that they are kind of you know, preparing themselves for those things and that they're not going to like eventually like come up and find themselves that they've kind of like dug a hole for themselves in that way. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur and you feel you've been successful and you feel like you can't get a loan, um, you need to find a better accountant. Like <laughs> it, cause I agree it is more difficult, but, um, it's very, most of our clients making, uh, I'd say almost all of our clients, unless they have very specific circumstances, uh, if they're making half a million or more, and I'd say our client, like if the median size of our clients is probably mm. around 500 grand a year, we have clients doing 10, you know, low 10 figures. And then we have clients making their first six figures. Um, so when you look at the median, we're right around usually five, $600,000 a year. And so when you get to that point, and I don't want to dive too deep into this because we're starting to get into tax strategy and, and I don't want people's eyes to roll into the back of their heads. <laughs> um, but ultimately, you like our clients are paying themselves payroll already. And your accountant should be advising you how much you should be running payroll for yourself, um, both to make sure that we're showing a decent payroll income, but also getting some tax savings on that. There's actually a benefit to running payroll for yourself, but it's really important that you're planning ahead. If you know you're starting to think about buying a house, talk to your accountant about that and you may need to temporarily increase your, your payroll. So there's things you can do. My business partner has owned multiple houses and him and his wife have been business owners for a while. Um, we own a house. We have lots of clients who have bought bought homes, but you, you have to, that's where I would question like your friends who are entrepreneurs. Do they have good accountants? Have they taken their finances seriously? Are they just selling and making money, but they're not really trying to build real businesses um, that are going to have the structure and foundation that a lender is going to look at and go, yeah, like you're running a business online, but this seems really solid versus a business where it's like, okay, no one's getting paid through payroll. You have contractors all overseas. Your, your revenue fluctuates up and down. You're never living in the same, like there's some other things that, yeah, as a lender, because it, 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 it's even less about the government and more about the lenders. Lenders just look at that and feel like it's more risky. But if you have a good account, you can create, they can help you create more of the image of having mm -hmm. this really stable, reliable business. And, and payroll is definitely a big part of that strategy. Yeah, I think that's just one of those things that like a pure entrepreneurial personalities don't really think about and they don't really think like, okay, where's this three steps ahead? You know, how should I be putting these things together to make sure that I'm like preparing myself and putting myself in the best place possible? And I think this is really important, especially as I believe, and we've talked about on this podcast before that the number of like freelancers and solepreneur sort of service providers are going to increase that maybe don't have the ability to be selling at like, you know, half a million, but that can for sure be doing, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 a year, but maybe, you know, I think that that's where people get into trouble is if they're essentially earning a good salary amount, but it's really business. Like, I think that's where people get in trouble. Um, and, and I know we have listeners who are in that position and, and I think that's very important so that they don't, you know, dig themselves in the hole at some point. Well, and, and just, I just want to add something to that real quick. So this is just my mindset and, and I'll be curious, uh, maybe, maybe you can see what your audience thinks about this. Uh, they can mm -hmm. email you and let, let you know if they think I'm up my own ass on this, but I think. I want to be a business owner, not an entrepreneur. An mm -hmm. entrepreneur to me is someone who's like always striving to build a business and is building a business that isn't fully functional yet. And, mm -hmm. and even calling people like Elon Musk entrepreneurs and stuff like that. So I'm like, dude, that dude's not an entrepreneur. He's running multi, multi, multi-million dollar businesses that are worth billions of dollars. The dude owns stuff. He owns mm -hmm things that function without him. I look at him as a business owner. So I'm more interested in what it takes to be a business owner. And that's a different mindset than 
perpetually being an entrepreneur. I don't want to be an entrepreneur forever. I actually don't even consider myself an entrepreneur. I want to be a business owner and being and having a business and being a business owner means there's certain responsibilities you have to learn how to take on. You have to learn how to be a leader. You have to learn to to work with an accountant and understand your tax responsibilities. You have to be responsible for a budget and a forecast outside of just your, you know, your personal finances, right? Like you are um, doing something very difficult and something not very many people can do. And it can be so rewarding, but I think it's really important that we understand what are we trying to build? Where are we trying to get to? And how do we create a foundation for our businesses that become real businesses? Um, but sometimes if you're just a, if you look at yourselves more of a marketer or a salesperson or whatever it is, it's easy to just be in that lane. But if you run a business, you have to be a CEO that sees the full scope of what a successful business needs to be, be like. So what I'm hoping is that your audience will one day no longer call themselves entrepreneurs and business owners. Cause me business owner is a different journey than someone who's perpetually trying to start businesses. Yeah. It's so funny that you kind of bring this up because it's a conversation I've had with friends and, and business partners in the, in the past. I like, I work with a lot of HVAC uh, owners in my like quote unquote day job, so to say, and they're not entrepreneurs, they're business owners. And there's a difference. And for me, like the, the sort of quote that I use is, uh, and I believe this might be Naval Ravikant, but I'm not sure. But he says that uh, entrepreneurship is the art of solving problems at scale. You know, so essentially like an entrepreneur is somebody like who that. is coming up with with solutions for problems and figuring out how to, how to um, you know, produce them at scale. Wow. I think like it, it's two arms of the same person, right? Where you have an entrepreneurial arm that can do that, but then you need to have the other arm as well that I think is far more of that operator. Like how, what are the systems here? How do I need to deal with employees? How do I set up all of these things? Yes. And I think that, you know, very successful people like Elon Musk is a good example. He has the arm that can see problems, create solutions for them at scale, but can then also dive in deep and kind of operate and fix those things, which I think is a rare skill i think far more Very people rare. have one and then lack on the other one so yeah and and i th- and don't get me wrong like if you own a business you are an entrepreneur cuz the definition of it is you know you're mm-hmm. you start businesses but i think we just put too much emphasis and weight on the idea of being an entrepreneur and the sexiness of being an entrepreneur yep. and the people i know with with wealth are business owners. So I just hope that that just from a mindset standpoint, yep. that maybe gets people to think a little more about what it takes to really run a business with people, with systems, with procedures, which doesn't sound sexy, but those are the things that take our clients' businesses from doing, you know, solid businesses that make, you know, good amounts of money and get into that seven figure range and start even thinking about eight figures. Well, hey, procedures get a lot more sexy when you find out what they can do. So uh, I, I totally Amen. agree with that. But Parker, I know that we're running out of time here. I've had a ton of fun. Uh, let people know where can they find out more about you and about Evolved Finance and if they want to get in touch with you and kind of uh, you know start a relationship, where can they find out more about you and more about the business? Yeah, just go to Evolved finance.com. That's E-V-O-L-V-E-D, evolvedfinance.com. That's like the main place to go. We have a, you know, we have a workshop there that you can go through where we give away some great budgeting tools. So um, check that out. I have a podcast where it's just me talking about financial concepts and sharing what I learned from uh, working with so many of our amazing clients. We work with some of the top people in the industry and we've been doing this for a really long time. So I share a lot of the things that, you know, we're talking about here, Mitko, about, um, about just the behind the scenes of running a successful online business. And then if you are looking for bookkeeping, uh, you can schedule a call with me there. Um, we work with you, you know businesses operating US dollars, making at least $100,000 or more a year in revenue and, and are selling either digital products or, or kind of online services. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think this has been a super valuable episode and uh, hopefully sometime we can have you back on and we can uh, nerd out even a little bit further. I'd love to do it again, man. Thank you so much, Michael.